Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler from So What's Your Story? We'd like to invite you to join us at a live event as part of Warwick Community College's Year of the Arts. Tony Russo and I will be interviewing Gina Vieira, the editor of Echoes and Visions Literary Magazine. The show starts 12.30 p.m. Monday, April 8th in the Hazel Center Cafe, and we'd love to see you there. We'd also like to take a second to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast version of this show wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can hear any of our shows, see photos, or read the show notes at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com. That's SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com. Thanks so much for your support, and thanks for supporting DPR. Now, enjoy the show. One of the things uh, that I think Diane and I decided very early on, we want our titles to have a specific look and style and feel. Um, so you'll notice every every cover we do wraps around, uh, and that's very much intentional. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have David Yurkovich, author and associate editor and designer for Devil's Party Press. He has penned two novels and illustrated several graphic novels. David was the 2017 Delaware Division of the Fine Arts Fellow in Fiction, and more recently, his new novel, Banana Seat Summer, appeared on shelves in December 2018, and it just won third place for the best book design by the Delaware Press Association. So welcome to the podcast, David. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. Um, so congratulations on your, on your recent win for the, for the third place. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. It was a, a, a very surprising, uh, year for Devil's Party Press and as far as the DPA awards were concerned. Yeah. And so I, I had a chance to kind of check out the, uh, Banana Seat Summer and it's got kind of a retro feel to the cover. Um, and the story takes place in 1974. Um, would mm-hmm. you give us a little bit of kind of feel of what what Banana Seat Summer is all about? Yeah, sure. It, it is a, a retro uh, type story taking place in summer of 1974 uh, with two best friends, Jacob and Mike, growing up in this small town, uh, kind of on the cusp of the end of innocence. They're both nine, about to turn 10, and they're having what they want to be uh, the best summer of their lives before um, that in age of innocence starts to end. I remember mostly about my 10th birthday, more about my 13th birthday, but also my 10th birthday was the first inkling that, oh my God, birthdays really don't matter, do they? You know, right. like you go to sleep and you're nine and then you wake up and you don't feel different. You really kind of are given the impression you're going to feel different when you wake up on your 10th birthday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true for, <laughs> for a lot of us as kids. And my daughter just turned 10 last week, and I can kind of sense that she's not this little kid anymore. You know? Yeah, I mean, that that end of the innocence kind of coming-of-age stories, I think, kind of speak to all of us because we've also, it's all, it's something that's sort of very ubiquitous to, to all of us. We've all kind of been there um, sure. you know, with, with those sorts of stories. Right. I wanted to ask actually a little bit about your graphic novels because that I don't know if we've had on someone who did because hmm. you did both you wrote them and drew them yeah that's correct that's and, and it's fantastic and a little bit intimidating um, <laughs> did you have one that you did several issues of or were they all separate so I, I guess I started 
doing graphic novels in the early 90s, actually comic books first. Um, I, I did a series called Death by Chocolate way before the term had become quite so popular as it is in <laughs> our, our culture. Uh, and it was very much a uh, kind of a send up on crime fiction. Uh-huh. Uh, I did a, a superhero series set in Philadelphia, initially called Threshold. Then it became the superheroes of Philadelphia or the shop. Um uh, and did several issues of those, and then I did a number of one-off uh, stories and graphic novels. And by that time, I had started working, instead of 32-page pamphlet-type books, working on more lengthier stories with spines and, you know, 96, 100, 120 pages. As someone who works in prose and not in graphics at all, you have to make a separation between what you're going to— sh- literally what you're going to show— and like they always tell writers, you know, show don't tell, but you can't say that to a graphic novelist. You no, have to show no, that's very and tell. And when you're putting it together, how do you break up what's going to be done in dialogue and what's going to be done on a panel? I tend to write each story from the narrator's point of view. So there's a lot of um, narration on each panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the process, typically I have an inkling of an idea and I start doing storyboards and sketches and just follow it through. And typically the whole process works itself out rather seamlessly. Do you feel like once you know what it looks like, then you know what it sounds like? It is a good way to put it. And once, uh, and oftentimes the the pictures will kind of dictate how the narration goes or vice versa. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing, uh, to, to do both. Right. Cause I've, I, but I've never done, well, that's not true. I was going to say I've never done just the illustrations part. I've always worked as a writer-artist. But for a brief time, I worked with a friend who was a writer in Ohio, and he wrote the scripts for a series he was doing. I did the breakdowns, and then another artist uh, did the finishes. And that was quite fun uh, also. That seems like the most frustrating thing in the world to me. I, I would rather have all the control or none of the control. But like being being part of a team, it seems... It just feels counterintuitive. Um, was does is the pressure, I guess, off a little bit when it's someone else's story? Or? Well, well, you know, the writer, uh, like my fr- it was my friend Sean, and um, so he came at at it not as a writer artist, just as a writer. So he had a much different perspective. For him, the script was broken panel by panel, page by page, with an instruction. Now I could look at that script and say, you know, you're telling me to do a straight on shot of this building. Where I think it would be a little more dramatic to maybe move the camera up and do a bird's eye view mm. looking down. Or you're telling me to put four equal panels on this page, but the action is such that I think if we split it into a few more, there would create more of a sense of urgency. So I, so he and I had a lot of phone calls back and forth, and uh, there was a lot of give and take. And, and mostly he respected my perspective, and I tried to re- you know equally yeah. respect his perspective. And then, of course, they went to uh, poor Mike, our, the finishing artist, who would take my chicken scratch and uh, try to turn it into really nice finished art right Uh, that was part of your first entry into the publishing world in general yeah doing my own books was um i did the layouts after i had done a few books and met uh sean and mike and then we said hey let's kind of collaborate for you know six or seven issues and the 90s was a weird time for graphic novels right because you had a couple but they weren't certainly they weren't what they are now and where do you go how long did you try to get them published before you published them on your own or did you just decide you wanted to publish them on your own oh no long long time a lot of a lot of communication with editors at marvel at dc at dark horse mm-hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of leads but no ultimately nothing led to anything concrete and at that point i thought i should really um just 
put both feet into the water and, and take a stab at self-publishing. And it worked out fairly well. My first comic book was awarded a grant. Um, so that really helped kind of get my name established, at least among the indie, indie press uh, comic book community. Mm-hmm. Um, and things went well from there. Um, realistically, it just became very time-consuming to do both. Um, to do comics, it would take about eight hours to ten hours a day to do a page. And because I was doing... I guess by the time I started, I was doing books that were about 120 pages. So it was a lot of hours and, you know, I work full time. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it gets yeah. to be a bit much. You really have to both get onto the same page uh, quickly. Like this is generally the look we're going to want. And this mm-hmm. is generally the arc we're going to want. Otherwise, you're going to have to fight tooth and nail the whole. Yeah. and And I have a lot of books that are done as far as the story's done the layouts are done but I, I don't have time to finish them and i've often thought well i should look for an artist to finish them but i'm way too much of a control freak right. that i would want to <laughs> i wouldn't want to give up that yeah like that hi control. i'm an artist i'm gonna find an artist to finish my work i can't i can't imagine that either with devil's party press you are sort of in charge of all of the sort of graphic decisions and the layout decisions that happen uh with with the press yeah though it's not as it you know diane and i collaborate a lot on it uh, and i'll bounce ideas off of her she'll she gave me a great suggestion for a novel we have coming out um in a few weeks uh where i was really struggling with the cover and uh she just dropped this idea on me and i was like wow that could really work and it turned out to be a really nice uh nice end product so i i always turn turn to her for ideas uh for a lot of them especially if i'm struggling with with you know how i want the book to look i, oh, I think absolutely. i think for um suspicious activity um it was Diane's actually idea, I think, to go with the the newspaper and the old photo, or or she might have suggested the photo, and I might have suggested doing an old newspaper. But it was a collaboration, and eventually it all fell together. Uh, I had a an earlier version of Banana Seat Summer out that um, just had an awful, awful cover, and it you know six years ago I looked at it and thought this is a brilliant cover, and then I looked at it again and I thought this cover is true terribly bad and really wanted to do something that kind of uh popped a little more and just had big bright bold colors and not much more on the cover so the the design really tried to reflect that uh and the font as well yeah no one's going to be surprised that this book occurs during the 1970s and also that it was written recently yeah i'm struggling to think of the name of that font but it was voted the most popular font of the 70s i I can't (laughs) i can't quite think of it right now yeah it's got a very um, soul train vibe to it you know i was thinking more teen beat but yeah i mean yeah (laughs) i didn't i didn't see the 70s so it's fine But I think that, you know, one of the things that's one of the questions that I had was going from, you know, doing panels and graphic novels and then turning your attention to a, to book covers. Were there any challenges? Were there anything? Was it harder or easier to translate? You know, because I would think in a graphic novel, you've got panels and panels to kind of punch in, you know, your intention and kind of get your sense of style across but in a cover you've basically got like one shot maybe two if you consider front back you know sure was it hard to translate for you yeah well it was a hard transition um and and the audiences are completely different right Right. so um these are not books written for teens they're written for older readers um one of the things uh that i think diane and i decided very early on we want our titles to have a specific look and style and feel um so you'll notice every every cover we do wraps around 
Uh, and that's very much intentional. Um, that's going to be our, our, that is our house style. And uh, it, it's nice. I like it because when you hold, pull the book apart, you have a landscape image versus a tall, narrow, vertical image. Uh, so you have a lot more room to do like a sweeping panoramic image or, you know, collage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I took a look at Suspicious Activity, this anthology by Devil's Party Press, like it is so interesting. You can't help but look at it and pick it up and turn it around and then to know that the headlines sort of reflect that there's you know kind of connect to a story that's on the inside it's almost like taking the table of contents and putting it on the outside of a book in a kind of an an unusual way I I, I just absolutely love this cover Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was that was a fun cover to do. I mean, I I lost track of how many layers there were in, in the in the Photoshop document. But the doing the titles, on, working the stories into the cover itself, uh, kind of came about by accident. Because initially, when I was thinking of doing the newspaper, I was just going to write a bunch of articles. And then I think Diane and I talked and said, like, wait, we've got all these great stories. What if we kind of wrote headlines around each one? And uh, work them in and then for one story we put a business card of the detective agency that's within one of the stories and then we worked in some uh fun little ads uh and and it all just thankfully it all just came together the way we wanted it to yeah well it sounds like you're having fun you know with with this and i think that's something that can get lost easily yeah it is fun because we're doing we're primarily doing it for ourselves and for the authors we're looking to cultivate and uh support um, so if it's not fun, we, there would be no point in doing it. Yeah, but it is a lot of fun. And now, um, you said that the uh, that uh, Banana Seed Summer had been out for six years before you before you decided to change the cover. Can you- so, uh, yeah, so years ago, I I published an earlier version of it through a different company, my own, my the company I was doing comics through, um, and uh, it was yeah, it was a lot different story than it ends up now. Um, I I went back and looked at that book um and realized well number one like i I think as an as an author i've matured enough that i could make some substantial revisions to Mm -hmm. it uh and then uh secondly i i thought it would be a good fit for devil's party press um since i fit kind of fit the um demographic of the uh authors we're cultivating since i myself am over 40 um (laughs) So I, I did a, a very hard uh, re-edit of the book and then just redesigned the entire interior and exterior. We were actually speaking with an author about this not too long ago, and uh, I think it I think it connects well here. Sometimes I think that we discard novels and we don't realize that the idea is right, but we don't have enough experience to finish the novel yet. So you have this great idea and you write the book or you start the book and then you set it aside because you just and then you pick it up and you're like, oh, I get it now. I just didn't get it then, which is the difference between the old draft and, and the new draft. And sometimes there can be decades between those. Sure. But it, it it the book, I think, can be improved by those decades. It's just an idea that you weren't ready to write yet, maybe. Well, in this, in the case of Banassi Summer, the, uh, uh, what I actually did was um, I did a harder edit on it because I, I, as I went through the manuscript, I realized there was a lot of um, paragraphs that just could be tightened or just were, were um, I, I don't, superfluous to the actual story. And once I trimmed those down, I, I, I got to a much leaner 
final manuscript. Um, so I, I think in my case, it wasn't that I didn't have the story. If anything, I was writing too much. I was overwriting it just uh. for the sake of writing. And, and kind of by doing that, it was watering down the actual um, progression of the story. Um, so yeah, this, this came in probably about 10,000 words later wow. than the original version. I mean, it just really, there was a lot of cutting to be done. Uh, I, I've been doing some blogging and, um, serializing some stories I had written before, but never published, mm-hmm. finding the exact same thing. I, I'm looking at these stories from 10, 15 years ago and saying the core story is really good, but the way I approached it and wrote it was just way too verbose. So how can I cut this back and refine it and make it a leaner story? Uh, and, and I think it's a really good exercise for writers to do, to periodically look at something you've written 10, 15, 20 years ago and approach it again and, and see what kind of lens you see it through. And I think, you know, one of the, that kind of leads me to, to a question about, you know, your work with Devil's Party Press. So you have authors who are submitting their work to you and now you are in the role of editor for them. I mean, you were in the role of editor for yourself in a sense, but Can you talk a little bit about the relationship that you have in the editing process with with, um, the authors that you have um, at Devil's Party Press? Oh, yeah, sure. So, so, uh, you know, when you're submitting uh, stories for an anthology, you're going to get writers who are really seasoned and polished and writers who are their first story being written. So um, I approach each story differently. it's, it's difficult to say how, what type of editing or how much editing a story is going to need, but uh, I, I know what the story needs just from having done it long enough um, and working. I work as an editor during the day as well. Uh, but the approach is typically hands-off unless uh, something I feel needs to be fixed. I mean, obviously, spelling and grammar type errors, things like that, continuity errors, uh, Beyond that, um, it's it's all very subjective. You could give a story to five different editors and get five different cuts of it. Um, you know, I, I tend to think of myself as a decent editor. Uh, I, I work pretty, really closely with the uh, writers who, who do submit work and try to offer suggestions and feedback. And Diane does that, too, as she edits the work. Um, and, I, and I think the authors we've worked with have been very appreciative of the feedback, quite honestly. Um, for two of the manuscripts we've been reviewing... Um, this week, um, I, I, Diane and I talked, and I said, these are good stories to put in the anthology, but I wrote to both authors and said, I have a suggestion I think you need. For one author, I told him he needed to cut a section because it just didn't work. Uh, for another author, I said, you've got this great story, but it needs a paragraph introduction because you kind of throw us into the middle of it, and we have no idea where we are. Um, and they both wrote back and said, you yeah, know, great suggestion, let's do it. Um, so, it, you know, feedback is, is feedback, yeah. um, but, I, but I try to make it as constructive as possible because uh, ultimately, uh, you know, having been in a workshop that Diane formed uh, four years ago, uh, the one thing we've learned is ultimately if you're confused, then the person who's coming into this story cold is going to be confused as well. So you, you really, it's really your job as the author to tell the story clearly so that a reader is not feeling any ambiguity about, wait, what just happened? Who's talking? What is the motivation here? Every, all that stuff should be clear, and I think it's the artist's job to do a good job telling a clear story. We actually, that's a, that's a recurring theme here. I, I'll give work to my wife a lot to read. To, she's, she's my first reader, and... Um, when she she used to be like, well, I don't get this, but maybe you know, maybe it's just, maybe it's just me. And I'm like, no, 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 you're you're my audience. If if you don't get it, then I I have to make it so you do. Like, being in my 
me getting it in my head is useless. If if the if the reader doesn't get it, then we have a problem. And the only way you find out is to give it to a reader and accept their feedback as genuine and not say that, well, you just don't understand me. Or you, you don't, don't you don't get my genius. You don't get me, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 so true, right? It yeah, it's never a case of you don't get it, didn't get what I was going for. It's you no, know, you didn't do your job telling the story clearly so that I could get what you were going for, and and that's a hard thing for some authors to hear, right? Nobody wants to be told, yeah, you know, what do you mean you didn't understand my story? But real reality is what it is, and uh, it, it can, things can be fixed, and once they're fixed, problem solved. Yeah, and I think it's just, I think for an author to be, or a writer to be able to establish a relationship with an editor that is constructive, positive, that the author is able, and the writer is able to hear the functional criticism and that the editor is able to deliver it in a way that the author can hear it and that the they can build a relationship back and forth and I don't know that that's like I, I kind of tend to think that it's not like a one-size-fits-all kind of thing I think sometimes there are certain editors that are able to speak to certain writers and and you know and make that relationship you know because every writer needs an author at the end of the day I mean every writer needs an editor there's sure. just no question and there's no question if people aren't editing put, putting out edited work it's it's ridiculous well, otherwise, again, it's you're just in your head, and yeah. you can't you can't see where you're ending up. You can only see where you want to go, and without that connection at the end, without that reader connection at the end, you can't see where you ended up. You only are like, well, I was going there. I must have gotten there because no one told me I didn't. But that's because you didn't ask anyone. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you can look at suspicious activity and David, our friend David Dutton has a really great story in there. And when he submitted his draft to it, uh, Diane and I read it and we had some real problems with the story, not the um, not the writing style, not anything, but some of the content. And we bounced some ideas off of him and he said, you know, that's not a bad idea. And we ended up doing some revisions to the writing. And I think it's a much stronger story that people can relate to as a result. And that's, that's kind of where we're looking at it. We want the stories to be relatable and also as polished as they can be. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you and Diane have an obligation to your press to put out stories worth reading and stories that are going to be, you know, stories that you want to represent the type of press that you have no ab absolutely and as our press is growing and we're seeing an, an, an uptick in submissions uh that bar gets raised and so it becomes more difficult um because you're not going to accept every submission i mean i it would be great if you could and and honestly if they all came in and they were fabulous absolutely you would but um when a submission is received that doesn't quite fit um or meet your criteria then you have to reject it and that for me, that's probably the most difficult aspect of being in, in a press now is having to be in that role to contact authors and say, I'm really sorry, but this is not a story we can use because I've, I've been in that role a lot and have received those letters. So I know how, how frustrating they're going to be. So I try to make them as constructively um, positive as possible. Yeah, that, that's got to be just to sit on both sides of that, I guess. Perhaps having been on the receiving end of those rejection calls maybe adds a sensitivity to being on the delivery, uh, delivering side of that. No, it definitely does. Well, 
as someone who just gets rejection letters, I, I don't I don't send them back out. <laughs> no, I reject you, <laughs> but, sir. <laughs> you know, I I think that as a writer, you also have to understand that that's part of the deal. That you have to find something that's a good fit. You know, if if everything you submit gets sent back, it could be just that you're sending it to the wrong the wrong kinds of places, or it could be that you're not doing enough front end work. And but that's really you know. As, as I like to say, that's between you and your God, you know, but sure. you making the effort to send the things out is the best that you can do besides practicing and getting better as a writer. And then understanding that people are going to say, well, this isn't for us and that's not about you or about them, you know, and sometimes you can get, sometimes you'll get a, a rejection letter that says, well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. But oftentimes it's just like, we couldn't, you know, it's you're not for us, and you know, good luck. Keep trying. Sure, I, I mean, it, it, presently, you know, for the last well, since we've started the press release, I haven't really had much time to submit work, but I did submit um, a few stories last year. Well, one or two stories to different publications, uh, and got rejection letters. And you know, just I think there was a time when I would have really been hurt by those. Um, but to your point, I think you just kind of, uh, I guess I have this perspective now because I am in the, in, on the opposite end of that, um, uh, street that I, that I realized they're at, at the end of the day, they're just trying to make the best anthology they can do. And my story wasn't a good fit for them. And I understand that. And also you get to the point, hopefully I, I haven't reached this point yet, but when you're like submitting is the point. The, the doing the work and doing the submitting is more important than getting accepted because at least you're working at least you're at least you're writing at least you're trying to say something and you haven't just stopped altogether you know sure so if you're getting rejection letters that means that you're writing and submitting and if you're not that means that you're not right That's <laughs> quite true. very few of us only get acceptance letters sure and when you guys decided that you wanted to start this press, what did you bring from your own experiences as, uh, as in your own publishing life from before? Gee, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I kind of knew the, the workings of how to do digital um, on-demand printing. Mm. Um, so I, I brought that to the table. I understood like the business end of, uh, like buying your ISBNs, having your uh, having an account with um, uh, my identifiers or Bowker's, uh, so kind of the the business end of things, and then the the book layout end of the process, and of, and I guess the design as well. So I, I guess I brought a few things. <laughs> I brought a few things. It seems to like it. a lot, is what I'm saying. I mean, you realize, yeah. you know, there are certain skills you bring, and, and like like one of the things we realized very early on, I think, um, was yeah, you know, when you're doing this type of anthology. Um, when you're not like a, a huge publisher, for example, um, song lyrics are just off limits, right? right. And, and so we just keep getting these submissions where it's just like, oh yeah, and I got this song from the, I got these lyrics from this Bob Dylan song are going to go great in here. I got this these Kiss lyrics that are going to go great in here. It's just like, yeah, sorry, you can reference the song title, you can reference the artist, but unfortunately we can't do the lyrics. And it would be great if we could and we get to that point, but right now, you know, it's just, it's just uh, 
uh, cost prohibitive and time prohibitive, right? Um, we actually, it's a funny story. We actually had one of our very uh, lovely authors, uh, I think it was on uh, your show, Carrie Keene. Yep, Carrie um, Keene. Had, had done this beautiful memoir piece. And in the middle of it, she had these Jimi Hendrix lyrics. And, uh, and I said, you know what? Please contact them. So I looked on their website and it seemed pretty doable. Like it's all family run. And uh, we actually got rejected. And uh, the reason we got rejected was because there was a mention of alcohol or drug use in the story. And I looked back and I was like, what, alcohol or drug use? What are you talking about? And sure enough, there's a scene where um, the character in the story buys a six pack and brings it home. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really limited <laughs> alcohol use. But I mean, that was their reason for turning us down. So I said, well, we tried to get those lyrics, but we couldn't. So again, we just referenced the name of the song and people get, get it at that point. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Stephen King can put, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival lyrics and, and different things in his, but there's a whole toolbox of stuff that comes with, you know, doing the publishing work that I think not everyone can appreciate until you're until you're having to do the work yourself. Yep. Yeah. All right, Stephanie. Well, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. All right. Well, thank you so much, David, for being here and talking with us. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you, Tony. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell Your Story.